Amen, amen. How's everybody doing? How many people are blessed in the presence of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Please help me say thank you to the worship team to have ushered us in his presence. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We appreciate what you guys do. Um, it's good to be back with you from the land of our ancestors from Kenya. And you know, if I go overseas and I come back, I got to bring a little song, song for you guys. Amen. All right. So here's what I brought for you. A little Swahili. Um, that, that you all understand, will understand. Um, Mungu niwema. Kaliwakati. All right. It's not complicated. Mungu niwema. Kaliwakati. Which means. What does it mean again? God is good. And then all the time, God is good. So y'all gonna help me. So Mungu, that's God. Ni, that's is. Wema, that's good. So Mungu ni Wema. Okay, and then Kali Wakati, all the time. All right, and then Kali Wakati, Mungu ni Wema. All the time, God is good. Amen. All right, so can we do it like we got some Kenyan blood? Amen. All right, Mungu ni wema. Actually, your response is Kali Wakati. And then I say Kali Wakati. And then you say Mungu ni wema. All right, so now, now we're going to do it like, 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 we're, like we're from Kenya. Amen. So Mungu ni wema. Kali Wakati. All right, all right, like, you're like half, like you're somewhere on the Atlantic. Let's make it all the way to Africa, amen. So I'm going to repeat it. So I say, Mungu ni wema. You say, Kali wakati. And then I say, Kali wakati. And then you say, Mungu ni wema. All right? So, Mungu ni wema. Kali wakati. Amen. Congratulations. You're now fully Kenya. Give yourself a hand of applause. Amen, amen. So it is good to be with you guys. We had a great time in Kenya. Uh, we'll be able to share it in more depth next week at um, the combined service, the revival next Sunday. Um, but thank you all for your prayers, for your support. Those who came um, to the fundraisers that we had, uh, you cannot overestimate the impact that has had on that community over there. And that is because the body of Christ here came together and we are grateful for your support. Amen. All right. So please open your Bibles with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 to 14. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 to 14. Um, and as you know, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we are in this, um, the middle of chapter 5. And our theme for today is walk in purity. So please help me read. I will read for you Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 to 14. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, 
righteousness and truth and find out what please the Lord what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light that is why it is said wake up sleeper rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you and so I want to talk to you today in walking in purity uh, broken down in leave live and learn leave live and learn touch your neighbor say leave live and learn leave live and learn so soon um, a lot of you guys are going to start school right um, how many are excited school years about to start amen oh, crickets all right how many is excited you know new classes new homework new challenges amen only my my daughters amen yeah so so and, and, and don't get me wrong I feel you I feel you um but school is, is very important in our lives right we make when we go to school we learn different things we make different friends and um how you go through these years it could make or break you it could decide it, it could impact your life to the point where you have a great life ahead of you or you have a bad life ahead of you and I'm going to summarize the sermon for you really quickly. Um, in verse 7 it says, Therefore do not be partners with them. Therefore do not be partners with them. As you go, whether and at every level of life, who you partner with, who you come into relationship with, can make your life better or it could destroy your life. And as a matter of fact, you can have a lot of good partners in your life. I've got to look friends in your life. You can have a, a good church. You can have good friends in school. But all you need to derail your life is one bad partner. Amen. All you need is one bad partner. And there are some relationships that you would find yourself better to never engage in. You know how many people that are 55 years old at the doctor's office and here, we're sorry, sir, it's stage four lung cancer. That wish that they never met a friend when they were 15 that told them, oh, try this. You know how many lives are ruined by these words, try this. And they give you whatever it is that they want you to try. And that little interaction with a relationship, with, with, with somebody that you would consider a friend, then derailed your life. You know how many people are sitting in court hearing the words, guilty, five, ten years, that wish that they never met the friend that said, oh, let's do this only just one time. And so the Bible says in verse 7, Therefore, do not partner with them. And if we would go in verse 5 and verse 6, you would see that the people that he's talking about are people that are living in immorality. 
people that are using very nice words to, to, um, to deceive you and bring you to their way. But guess what? The wrath of God is upon those people. It says that the king immoral, the, the, the immoral, the deceivers will not inherit the kingdom of God because the wrath of God is upon them. So therefore, verse 7, therefore do not partner with them. So my question for you is why would you partner with people that are, bent for, that are meant for destruction? Why would you partner with people that are going down? Can you imagine if you're in the Titanic and, and, and let's say you have a ticket for, for a life rack, like a, a life raft where you can go and you can get on the life raft. Why would you stay with the people that are going to sink with the ship? And so Paul says, therefore do not be partners with them for you were once darkness. Right, So before you receive Christ, and it doesn't matter what age you receive Christ, before you receive Christ, you were in darkness. Not only were you darkness, you were darkness yourself. Right, so, so you could listen to write about anything, you could say write about anything, and you could act just in any way. I remember when I got saved, I was nine years old, right? And at nine years old, you don't have time yet to be in a gang. You don't have time yet to go and do all those crimes, to do drugs and do all of those crimes. But I remember when I got saved, at nine years old, what I felt is clean. I felt like some cleanliness. Which means to me, in retrospect, that even though... I didn't do what we consider the big crimes. Just the little crimes are enough to make us darkness. Just the little crimes are enough for us to be, the Bible says, for all have sins and fall short of the glory of God. The little sins are enough for us to fall short of the glory of God. But when you receive Christ, you become light. You become something new. There's a saying that says, when I received Christ, I threw the old men, the old flesh into the water. But darn it, he knew how to swim. Meaning when you receive Christ, it's a new beginning, but it's not the end of the battle. Actually, it's the beginning of the battle. And you have to make a choice. Are you going to be a, live according to a child of life? Or are you going to live back in the days of darkness? Are you going to live in a way that represents Christ? Or are you going to live in a way that represents um, the world? And, and a lot of us, what we're trying to do is play both sides. right? We try to be good Christians on Sunday, but then be cool enough in the world on Monday. right? We want to be accepted by our brothers and sisters, suit and tie on Sunday. But then we want to be accepted by the homeboys uh, smoking joints and doing whatever in the streets on Monday to Tuesday. And there's nothing that's going to bring you down as fast as playing both sides. There's nothing that's going to bring you down as bad partnership that fast. Let me ask you this. If I give you a cup of water, are you going to drink it? Yeah. But what if I put one drop of poison? What happens? The whole drink now becomes spoiled. And all you need is one. 
And if you look at the people who, who had a rough time in scripture, you, you'll find that most of them got taken down with a bad partnership. Adam and Eve, what ended up happening? They were chilling in the garden and then they listened to the wrong person. The snake, bad partnership. Samson and Delilah. Samson, a little hot-headed, but everything is fine. He got his hair until when? Bad partnership, Delilah. Abigail was a wise woman, but guess what? What, what, what affected her, her household? A bad husband, Nabal. And then she had to use wisdom to save her household. And in terms of bad partnership, there is a story in the Old Testament that a lot of, if you, if you like to study the Bible, you ask yourself why Jonathan had to die. Jonathan is David's best friend. So David, as a young shepherd, God chose him to become king. The people of Israel are facing the Philistine and um, there's this giant and he's challenging the people of God for 40 days and everybody's afraid of him. Until the young shepherd boy, now with the anointing of God, God faces that giant and takes him down and that creates the tale of David and Goliath. And we all know the story. But after that, and if you follow with me in, in 1 Samuel 18, so after the whole David and Goliath thing and David becomes prominent, David makes a friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan, he's the son of Saul. Saul is the king, the current king that God has rejected. And David is not king yet, but David is the future king that God has chosen to lead his people. And Jonathan finds himself in the middle because as we'll read, he falls in love with David. And read with me in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 to verse 4. It says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved them as himself. For that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Pretty much at that moment, they become good friends. They become best friends, right? Where, where, where Jonathan takes all the riches that he has as son of the king and give him to his friend. Meaning, David, now you are more important to me than all the riches that I have, than all the positioning that I have. You're my best friend. And they come into a covenant, which is, is deeper than a contract. It's a, it's a deal that cannot be broken where they become bind together. And then fast forward to chapter 23. Um, now at that point, they, they, they've evolved together, but it became clear to David and Jonathan that Saul did not like David. Because it turns out when you're king, you don't like other people come and take your spot. And, and David was going to take his spot. And that became clear. And so David had to run for his life. And Saul tried to kill David several times. 
And David could have killed Saul, but did not kill Saul because he said, this guy has got the anointing of God on him, so I'm not going to touch him. But there's a lot of tension going on. And, and Jonathan, he finds himself in the middle because he loves his friend David, but he also loves his father. And then, it, and we jump in uh, chapter 23, verse 15 to 18. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in the Lord. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. So that's the dream. The dream is now, okay, my father's there, but don't worry, I'll protect you. He's not going to touch you. But you, David, you will become king. I recognize that God has called you to become king. You will become king and I will be your second in command. Now that's a big thing for Jonathan to say because if Saul remains king... That means Jonathan is the heir to the throne and Jonathan was, would become king. So Jonathan is willing to give up the throne for David, for his friendship for David. And, um, and for those of us who read the Bible and, 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 and love that story, we want that to be what happens. We want David to live and become king and we want his best friend Jonathan to be with him. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. If we jump to chapter 31, it says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit, and Saul and his sons, of hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wouldn't hit critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellow will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on the sword and died with him. Jonathan died. And when I read this passage, I ask myself, why did Jonathan have to die? Why couldn't Jonathan survive? Because Jonathan was a good man. If you read about Jonathan, he was a good man. Why couldn't he survive? I understand that Saul had to die, but why did Jonathan have to die? Why could he survive and be friends with David and David be king and he be second in command? And, and I want to bring to you this afternoon, um, so on the political side, he had to die. Why? Because he's the heir to the throne. 
He's the after the throne and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And so there would always be a possibility of him claiming the throne or his sons or his descendants claiming the throne and saying that David stole the throne. And if, let's say, David's daughter falls in love with Jonathan's son, then he does he become. But we know that in the overall plan of God, the Messiah was coming to the tribe of Judah. The Messiah would be a descendant of David. And so there cannot be any question on who belongs on the throne. But at the human level, at the human level from Jonathan's standpoint, I want to bring to you this afternoon that Jonathan died because he failed to make a decision. Part of him loved David, which was chosen by God, but part of him loved his father, which was rejected by God. And and, and he found himself where he says, David, I love you, but Saul, I'll stay with you. And a lot of us, that's where we find ourselves, where we say, Jesus, I love you, but the world, I'll stay with you. Right? Where we find ourselves where we say to God, we love him and we want to serve him and, and Jesus will be my king and I will follow you. But then in the practice, we find ourselves staying with the things that God had rejected. We find ourselves staying with the things that God has rejected. But I want to give you a warning. Is that when the wrath of God comes on these things, if you find yourself with these things, then you face that consequence as well. If you keep hanging with the gangbangers... Eventually, when the police comes around, they round all of you up and they don't ask if you go to church on Sunday. If you stay with this girlfriend or this boyfriend that is not good to you, that is not good for you, even though you like him as your boo and, and, and all of that stuff, eventually something happens. It's like this guy who grew up in church, goes to the doctor, and doctor says, sorry to tell you, you got HIV. He goes to the one girl that could be the possibility, would be the possibility, and she says, yeah, I know. This is a PG service, I'm going to leave it at that. Don't go and mess where you're not supposed to be messed. Don't go and partner where you're not supposed to be partnered. Leave that behind and live as a child of God. Don't be like Jonathan who, who did not make a choice. You need to make a choice. You're whether with Jesus or you're without Jesus. You're whether with Christ or you're without Christ. And the Bible says it's better for you to be cold. So fully without Christ, go and live your world. Or to be hot, fully with Christ, 100%, than to be lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, I will, he says, I will vomit you. You know what that means? That means I take you in, I taste you, it's nasty, I'll vomit you out. And I don't know if you know, there's nothing like, there's very little things as nasty as vomit. Amen. Anybody here like vomit? No. But (laughs) Ricky's laughing, only one laughing. But that's the image that Jesus uses to talk about lukewarm people. 
So you need to make a choice. I need to make a choice. Whether I'm with Christ or I'm without Christ. So leave these things behind. But then live. If you jump with me in verse in our chapter, chapter 5, verse 5, B to verse 9, he says, But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. He says, So now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. All that the Bible is asking of us is to live according to our new identity. When you receive Christ and you're born again, you become of a new race. You become of a new culture. You become of a new identity. You know, there's some ways like if I tell you, for instance, during the World Cup, they said, now I don't know that you guys know cultures like that, right? But it was one group of athletes, of people, wherever they went, they cleaned. Wherever they went, they cleaned. Right? So the athlete left their locker room super clean. The, the people that were visiting, supporting their, their country, when they were in the sense, they cleaned. They cleaned everything. Now, you might not know where they're from, and I will tell you, but do you think those were Americans? Say, no, you think it's not those were not. You think those were Haitian? Where do you think they were from? Japan. They were from Japan because that was that's their culture, right? So, so us living here in America, you know that's not America. No offense to anyone, but it's in their culture. And now in their culture now, that affects their behavior, that, that affects their, their identity now. It doesn't matter where they are in the world, their cultural identity now is reflected in their action. Now when you receive Christ, you've changed your, your, your spiritual identity, your cultural identity. Now you are a child of the light. So I don't care, like, let's say everybody in America does this. That doesn't mean you do that because you're of a different culture now. I don't care if everybody in Haiti, that's how we do it in Haiti. If it's not according to the word of God, then that's not what we do. Because I have a new culture in Christ. I have a new nature in Christ. And all the Bible is saying is live according to your new identity. Can you imagine you win the lotto, you make millions and millions of dollars and then you decide you're still taking the bus? You have a hundred million that you won in the lotto, but you still take the 34 on Sample Road. Wait one hour. Who would do that? No. Now you have hundreds of millions of dollars. You're going to live accordingly. You're going to get yourself a nice car. You're going to pay for it and you're going to drive or you're going to pay a driver to take you because now your identity has changed. And he says here, but how, but now you are light in the Lord, live as children of light. But then he, he gives us the key. He says, for the fruit of light consists of three things. One, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness it's in your character. Goodness is now how you roll in, in the sense that now you have moral values, right? Now you have standards of what you will, the things that you will do, the things that you will not do. It says, 
as relating to believers, the goodness that comes from God and showing itself spiritual, moral excellence, virtue. Right? So now that means what that means if you're a man, <clears throat> sorry, you don't carry yourself just like any other man. You carry yourself with a man of character. If you're a woman, now you don't carry yourself like any other woman. You carry yourself with a woman of virtue. A woman that has standing, a man that has standing. You don't uh, lower yourself to the culture, but you rise above to, to that moral excellence. And so first is goodness, second is righteousness. And righteousness refers to what is deemed right by the Lord um, after his examination. So that's now, now you walk in a way that is pleasing to God. You walk according to the law. And, and the way that I would put it is righteousness is following the law in, in the sense of living according to the commandments, living according to, 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 to the rules that God set. But goodness is living according to the spirit of the law. Understanding the heart of God. Understanding that the heart of God is compassion. Understanding that the heart of God is love. Understanding that um, if, if, if I have money for this, but this person cannot eat, God would want me to help that person eat. Right? Understanding the heart of God. And so it says goodness, righteousness, and truth. Truth speaks not only to saying the truth, but living in the truth, being having authenticity, having um, having um, being genuine in, in your faith. Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, "It's not on this mountain or that mountain that you will worship. The, the worshippers that God wants are those who will worship in spirit and in truth, meaning sincerely loving God, sincerely serving God." And that's how you live. And so in practical term, how you live as a child of God is everywhere you go, you're representing Christ. So everywhere you go, you watch the words that are coming out of your mouth. You watch the attitude that you project. You watch the things that you do. One of the biggest compliments that somebody have ever made to me at my job is when my colleague asked me, he says, Dave, are you a Christian? I said, yes, how do you know? It's just the way you carry yourself. And that should be for all of us, where people should know that there's something different with you just in the way that you carry yourself. When, 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 when we, you know, when, when I was in high school, it, it was different. And then so in high school, I want to say 90% of our class was Christian or went to church. But you would not know because we cracked the same jokes that we cracked about everybody. Uh, we did the same thing, the same language, the same stuff as everybody else. Until after high school, you go to a church and you see so and so and say, oh, you're Christian? And it should not be this way. It should not be that it's a surprise when you find out that this guy or that guy is Christian. It should have been evident because of the way you live. It should be evident because of the way you live. So live according to your new identity. Live as a child of God. As a child of the light. Not as a child of darkness. You know it's funny because when you watch 
you know, this or that celebrity, you never know if they're really truly Christian, right? Because they're going to say they're Christian. So they're going to say, yes, I'm a child of the light. But when you look at their movies or you look at the things that they say in public, you find that they say, mm, uh, that's kind of like a child of darkness, right? So it's kind of like almost where I show you my ID and my ID says, oh, let's say American. But then you, but then you go and you do something and say, oh yeah, but he says he's American, but he's acting like he's, he's from this other country, right? And, and it's like a discrepancy. There shouldn't be a discrepancy. If you're a child of light, of the light, you should walk according to, 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 to the light. So you leave that stuff, you leave the world and the darkness behind, you live as a child of, of, of light, and then you learn, verse chapter 10, uh, verse chapter 5, verse 10, it says, and find out what pleases the Lord. And find out what pleases the Lord. That is, find out means it's a careful examination and studying of what pleases the Lord. The whole endeavor of life once you receive Christ should not be to go and chase the paper, but it should be to go and chase the favor of God. It shouldn't be to go and chase money, but it should chase to try to become like Christ. Because you can see how many times you see people get a lot of money. They get riches, but then they don't get happiness. They, 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 they get fame, but they don't get peace. They get, they, 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 they get property, but they don't get joy of the Holy Spirit. And then so he says, find out what pleases the Lord. That is... The, the purpose of life. This is the purpose of Christian life is to walk in a way and then find out what pleases the Lord. When you start your spiritual walk, it is a constant learning curve into becoming more like Christ. And that quest will only end when we get in front of the, uh, the pearly gates. That quest only ends when you get in front of the pearly gates. So in practice, what does that mean? It means every day you try to get better in becoming like Christ. So now those of you who are going to start school, I'm going to tell you straight up, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have challenges. Number one, when you start school, what, what do you want to want? You're going to want to make friends. Not everybody that wants to be your friend should become your friend. Not everybody that wants to be your friend should become your friend. So now you need to use discernment, examine what pleases the Lord, and see if that person or that person pleases the Lord. And nothing will derail your life faster than one bad friend. Than one bad friend. But then, yourself, you're faced with challenges. You're faced with teachers, let's say. And teachers will do what? They'll get on your nerves. Amen. Anybody had a teacher that got on their nerves last year? Amen. So we have some honest people. But then, what do you do? Do you let way to your frustration and just say anything with your mouth? Amen. Or do you say what scripture says? It says, use self-control. You know what the Bible calls somebody that just says anything with their mouth all the time? 
A fool. A fool. Touch your neighbor and say, don't be a fool. Touch your other neighbor and say, you need to be wiser than that. And sometimes as students, we don't understand that the teacher is also going through something, right? The teacher has so many classes and all of them, they get on his nerves because you all know how you can be in class. I remember when I was in, in 10th grade, ninth grade, we had this teacher um, and we had a nickname for him. His nickname was Saddam Hussein because he had black hair and like he looked like Saddam Hussein. And that class was a mess. Like, oh man, it was a mess. Like where everybody's playing around, people doing stuff in the back. And it's like mess of a mess of a mess. During the exam, yo bro, what's number two? Number two is C. And the guy like tuned out. He tuned out. And the class was so bad that they created, <laughs> they created a floor. If you failed, they would not give you lower than 40 to give you a chance to, to make it up. And so at the end of that class, the majority of the class failed. A few of us passed. And I was one of those who passed. Amen. You know, well. Then next year, so you had, you know, at that level, you had two classes. The, the nerds, or the smart, and the critter. How can I say this nicely in English? The academically challenged. Academically challenged, right? So I was with the academically challenged, but one of the few survivors of that class, because everybody failed, and then so we went to boop, one class. One class, and then in that one class, now you had those that had, um, that guy, his name was Monsieur de Barros. David, when you go to home, you have to study math for eight hours. Bro, what you talking about? Eight hours? Fresh Prince is coming up at four. So we're not doing that. But you can see the difference between the people that were in this class versus the people that were in that class, right? The people that were in the class where everybody was playing around, everybody was fooling around versus the class where everybody was studying. And, and let me tell you, it was a rough year. It was a rough year because he would say, okay, well, this is it. You guys didn't see that last year? No. And those of us who passed, we were way, way, way behind. But glory to God, amen. Today I'm an accountant. Glory to God. God does miracles. Right? That God does miracles. But when we were in that class and doing all that nonsense, one thing that we never factored in is what is he going through? What's going into his life? Why is he checked out? Why is he... Um, and you don't know what your teachers are going through. You don't know what teachers, yeah, yes, they're in front of the class teaching, but their husband has cancer and they're fighting through it, right? Yes, they're in front of you teaching, but, 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 but their child has autism and it's been a rough ride. 
You don't know what they're going through. And could you be the person that God is sending in that class to give him some hope? To give him some, some, some relief. Of all the other kids doing the nonsense, what if you could be the kid that they look at and they say, okay, well, I'm going to keep going because that person's in my class. And, and we often talk about the impact that teachers have on, on students, but you don't realize sometimes the impact that you as a student, you can have on your teacher by just being a child of the light in the classroom, by just being a representative of Christ in the classroom. And, and, and I'm telling you this, but don't get me wrong, we, we, we weren't like that when I was in school. I remember we had one class where we had four teachers that year. First teacher comes. Yeah, she can handle it. Poof. Second teacher come. He can handle it. Poof. Third teacher come. And he was Haitian, but he was like, well, I know how our parents do. I'm not going to do that. Boom. And then they got strong Haitian woman, and she took care of business. And then the class, boom. Amen. Amen for the Haitian woman. So she went, she came to take care of business. But you know what? After she took care of business at the end, she's probably one of the teachers that we like the most. Because she did not allow us to fail. She expected more of us. And Christ expects of us to live according to the light uh, and to learn what pleases him. And I'm going I'm to um, summarize it in this. In this new school year, what you need to be able to be a successful Christian is you need to love God. You need to love God. A lot of times we look at Christian life and we think it's about following rules. But it's not about following rules. It's about falling in love. It's about falling in love with Christ. In Deuteronomy, when they're about to go into the promised land, God puts a challenge in front of the people. And that's a challenge that's in front of us now. He says, if you follow with me in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 18 to 20, he says... So they were about to go into the promised land. And pretty much if they follow the, the word of God, they will prosper in the land. And if they rebel against the word of God, they will fail in the land. And, and in our life is the same. If you follow God, I guarantee you, you will succeed. Not succeed according to the world, but succeed according to God. But if you turn your back on God, you're in for a rough ride. And he says this, I declare, so Deuteronomy 30, verse 18 to 20, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have said before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord, your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 20. And that you may love the Lord, your God, 
listen to his voice and hold fast to him for that for the Lord is your life and and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham and Isaac and Jacob even in the Old Testament the whole thing was if you can love the Lord your God this whole thing from Genesis to Revelation is what the only thing God really wants is what is that you would love the Lord your God is that you would love him and guess what? If you love him, then you will follow him. If you love, fall in love with the church, then you will follow the church, but the church cannot save you. If you fall in love with, with, with public appreciation because you're a Christian and that's nice, then guess what? Once the people stop appreciating Christians, guess what? Now you turn your back on God. But if you fall in love with God, then it doesn't matter what other people say because I love God. It doesn't, I love, no, don't get me wrong, I love you, but I love God more. And if you love God, number one in your life, then it doesn't matter what other partners, maybe they try to take you astray, but you always go back to your first love and your first love is Jesus Christ. And you know that that's what God, Jesus did for you. Every time that Jesus was tempted, he had a choice. Right? And says, oh, the devil came to him and says, I will give you all of those kingdoms if you bow down and worship me. He says, no, I will, you only have, uh, you will serve the Lord your God and serve him. And then he says, he said no to the devil and yes to his father. But then came a time where he was in the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of pressure, and he felt now in his bones, he felt where he was sweating blood, and he felt the anxiety of the cross, where he was going to go and die and be separated from the Father. And he prayed to his Father and says, Father, if it's possible from this cup to be removed from me, take it away from me. But then he said, not my will, your will be done. And then they came and they took him. And at some point, Peter took his sword and cut somebody's ear. And, and Jesus said, stop, don't do that. Don't you know that I could call, I could pray my father and, and have a thousand angels come at any time? Understand that when Jesus was going to the cross, he could have stopped it at any time. But he decided to go through, through it because that was the only way for us to be reunited with his father. And so he decided to keep going out of one reason, one reason alone. Love. Because he loved us so much. Because he loved us so much, he says, you know what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to die on the cross. I don't want to be separated from my father. But I will do it anyways. Because if I don't do it, Eli, Ricardo, Ethan are not going to be able to be reunited with my father. And I love them so much that what I will do what is against my own benefit so that they can be reunited with God. And you know what's the only appropriate response to love? It's love. It's love. It's love. It's love. Our love is the only appropriate response to love. And so for God so loved the world that he gave, so guess what he wants in return? He wants our love. And if you love God, then the more you love God, the easier it is to leave these other things behind. The only reason 
it, 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 it's like water and air. The more you have water, the less air you have. The more you have love for God, the less you have love for the world. So if you find yourself that it's hard to leave certain things behind, it's because you haven't embraced more and more of the love of God. More and more of the love of God that you embrace, the easier that it is to leave these things behind. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Until you get to the point where Jesus is my life, you're all I got. You're all I got. And some of the trials that you go through in life, they got one purpose. So that you understand that God is all you need. And you don't get to understand that God is all you need until you get to the point where God is all you have. Some of the trials that you're going to go through have one purpose, is to bring you to the point where God is my life. And if God is my life, and you understand what Jesus has done for us at the cross, the sacrifice that he did, and, and the love that that required, the only response, Jesus gave it all at the cross. The only response is for us to give it all and to love him with everything that we've got. So my challenge with you, to you guys as we start a new school year is to leave that other stuff behind. If there's a relationship that you know is taking you down, you know that that, you know, you, you've tried, but it's not right for you, leave it. Leave it behind. They be mad, but guess what? They get over it. You're not God. Sometimes I think we have a hard time leaving relationship because we think we're God. You're not what they need. They need Jesus. And you need Jesus. So some relationship, if they're taking you down, you need to leave them behind. But then you need to live as a child of light. You need to live. Everything that you say at work, imagine this. Those of you who go to work or go to school, I'm going to give you a challenge. In your next interactions, imagine that that person will show up on Sunday. Imagine that that person would show up on Sunday. So my worship team leader, you're about to go off on your colleague at work. Imagine they walk in and you're, God is good. And you're about to lead worship. When I go to work and I got to be careful because eventually somebody going to show up here and see me preach. And there cannot be a difference between the guy that's here on Sunday and the guy going to work on Monday. So live as a child of light. If I go to your school and I ask you, hey, did you see Ethan? Do you think he's, he's a Christian? What would the, call it? What did the, the, the guy say? Yeah, 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 Ethan, yeah, I know, I know. Or would they be like, hmm, really? Amen. And, and I pick on you, but I pick on me too because... You would have asked them, a lot of them, they wouldn't have known I was a Christian when I was at that stage. But what about you? If I go to your school and I say, so-and-so, do you know? Yeah, they go to my church. Huh? Y'all go to church. Live as a child of light. Learn 
what pleases the Lord. But at the end of the day, you need to love him because he loves you. God bless you.